You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. To honor all copyright restrictions, certain elements have been edited out of this message. Our scripture this morning comes to us from two places. First, in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And this is the New Revised Standard Version. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. And then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom, for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. And so Jesus called all the disciples and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So as a pastor, you learn little tips and tricks to get the attention of large groups of people pretty quickly. And it would just be easier if my life, if easier for my life if I just knew how to whistle like my mom knows how to whistle, or if I knew how to whistle in general. But God did not give me that gift, and that's okay. I have found throughout my career other ways to get the attention of large groups of people pretty quickly, and I just want to see if we can practice one or two of them together this morning. So what's going to happen is I'm going to invite you to talk amongst yourself for just a second, and I'm going to get your attention back with one of the one of two or three ways that I get my the attention of large groups. So go ahead and talk to yourselves for a second. The Lord be with you. Yeah, very good. Yeah. This one works really well with certain people that have a level of, of uh, exposure uh, to the life of the church. I'm not calling you church nerds, but I'm also not not calling you church nerds. Um, the other one that I like to use with campers goes like this. It should be on the screen for you in a second. It says, I will say God is good, and you all say, all and all the time. 
Yeah, that's another good one that I use at camp more often than not. Um, but there's one that I learned from Pastor Paul Lind, who serves uh, as one of the site directors of Wesley Acres Camp in, in uh, Daisy, North Dakota. Uh, when he gets among a group of people, he will just stand there quietly and put this up until the entire group realizes it and does it too. A few of you caught that. Thank you. Yeah. Until the entire group does it too. Okay. And as Pastor Paul would explain it, there are two reasons why he does this. The first, you can put your hands down. It's okay. The first is the deep one. The first is because I love you enough to not want you to miss what I'm going to say next. The other reason is the goofy one. Paul, Pastor Paul says that there's an imaginary string that goes from the tip of your thumb to your bottom lip. And so when you put this up in the air, that imaginary string shuts your yap so you hear what I say next. These are some of the ways that we get people's attention. The problem is, is that eventually all of these break down, especially at camp. As a week of camp rolls on and kids know what announcement's going to come next and how the schedule works, I will watch as a group of teenagers puts their hand up like this and knowing that they're supposed to be quiet, turns to their neighbors while leaving this up because that's what they're supposed to do, but they turn and continue their conversation with their neighbor. These basics, this basic instruction can come to us and then be so completely ignored. And I can't help but wonder if that's not a little bit of what happened to the disciples in our scripture for this, from this morning from the Gospel of Mark. Just before what we read, if we would have read the, the section right before what we actually read, we would hear Jesus tell his disciples for the third time what was going to happen as they came to Jerusalem. This is towards the end of the gospel, and so when they come to Jerusalem this time, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and suffer many things. He took the twelve aside and told them for a third time what was going to happen. And I just got to wonder, do you think the disciples were just not listening? Do you think that they heard that announcement before and said to Jesus, yeah, 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 that's very important and that's probably not going to happen anyway, but you got to hear this great idea that my brother and I have. Because James and John completely ignore what Jesus just said and then get on with what they want to say. James and John come to Jesus with this odd and infuriating request. And to be honest with you, what I find the most maddening about this scripture is not the request itself, but the request before the request that James and John make. James and John come to Jesus, and they say, before we tell you what's on our mind, do you promise to do what we ask no questions asked. I mean, who are they to ask Jesus for anything, right? And rather than tell the sons of thunder that they are once again being ridiculous, Jesus entertains their idea. Jesus entertains their request. Jesus says, okay, shoot. 
And then James and John get on with their request. They say to Jesus, the one who has been teaching them for quite some time now, they say to Jesus, the one who just poured out his soul to his disciples, they say to Jesus, grant that we can sit the closest to you when you come in your fullest glory. And I can just picture Jesus thinking to himself, did you two just hear what I said? Did you miss that announcement? The part where I said that the Son of Man, you know, me, is going to be turned over and suffer and die? And after putting these disciples in their place privately by telling them that they have absolutely no idea what they're asking, Jesus pulls out his own trick for how to get the group of the group's attention in a hurry. And as, as a rabbi, as their rabbi, I am sure that the trick that Jesus used was just to sit down. Because that's how rabbis taught. The disciples knew that when the rabbi sat down, something important was about to happen, something important was about to be said, and they darn sure better turn on those listening ears. And Jesus tells them. Jesus reminds them of what he is doing. And more than that, Jesus reminds those disciples what he is calling them to give their lives to. Jesus tells the disciples that the greatness that James and John were seeking and the greatness that the other ten may have been thinking about, but James and John talked first, that greatness is found not where they think it will be. That greatness will not be found in those places of honor sitting next to Jesus. No, Jesus says that true greatness is found in how we serve. True greatness is found in listening to the words of Jesus and following that example, and that example is one of service. In every regard of his life, Jesus gave an example of service. And Jesus is calling his disciples in Scripture and calling his disciples today to follow his example. To serve. And to clinch his own words, Jesus points to his own example. And also to reiterate, because it's apparent that the disciples have colossally misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. Jesus says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. With the full divinity of God behind Jesus, he could have arranged his life entirely to suit himself, to make the world serve him. But that's not how Jesus operates. Jesus set himself and all of his divine advantages aside in order to serve others. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
Christ came to trade his life. Christ came to trade his energy. Christ came to trade his time and everything else that he had so that others and you and I could have life. And in this case, eternal life. And as we follow him and learn to live like him, we discover that we are called to give of our lives, to give, of, uh, give, of, give off a life of service in the same way that he did so that others can experience life. Service is basic to our faith. Service is at the heart of why Jesus did what he did and should be at the heart of why we do what we do. Because it meant so much to Jesus, it should mean so much to us. The problem is, as William Barclay points out in his commentary, the basic trouble is that the human nature is to want to do as little as possible and get back as much as possible. The idea of serving can be hard for us as it was for the disciples because in most situations, if we're being completely honest, we're far more concerned with what we can get out of it rather than what it will do for someone else. Service completely reorients that. Service turns our human condition completely on its head. And while it's true that we do get that dopamine hit when we do something nice for someone else and it just feels good, don't get me wrong, and it can be super fun and lead to lifelong friendships, that's not what service is about. Service isn't about us. Service is laying down ourselves. Service is considering others. Service is walking in the way that Jesus has commanded us. We are our best version of what a disciple of Jesus Christ can be when we serve as Jesus did. When we make the uncomfortable and unnatural choice to serve others. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul describes the work that Jesus does in giving us this new and eternal life through grace and points at the very end of the section that by grace we were created to serve, to do good works in such a way that it defines our lives. Service should be as natural to us as breathing. Serving should flow from us in thankful response to Jesus for the life we live in his name. And so I ask you this morning, how then will you serve? How then will you serve? And the reality of that question and the beauty of that question is that there are hundreds of ways to serve others. And the answer to that one simple question will be as varied as the lives of all who hear it. And the even better part of that question is that there is no wrong answer. 
We could sit here all day and come up with ideas and ways that we can be in service to God and service to others. And the good news is that all of them are valid and all of them are good and all of them are faithful responses to the surpassing greatness of the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Even that wild idea that's in the back of your head right now. I'm going to put this up because I love you too much to want to have you miss what I'm going to say next. And it's even better because it's not my words. It's the words of Martin Luther King Jr., way smarter than me. But Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can serve. You do not need a college degree to serve. You do not need to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't need to know Plato or Aristotle to serve. You don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't need to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics. And by the way, I have no idea what that means. It's a quote from Martin Luther King that sounds way better than anything I could come up with. But you don't need to know it to be be able to serve. You only need this. A heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. God's grace is the power that puts us to work serving others. Would you pray with me? Risen and leading Christ, we give you thanks for the reality of our lives, for the skills you've given us, for the passions and interests that only we have for the, inter- the uh, ongoing creative work in our lives. For all the ways that you have given us and empowered us to serve. Help us to seek, help us to find ways to serve in your name. And it is in your name that we now pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.